You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. As I mentioned last Wednesday evening, in our study through the book of Galatians, as we come to this, the second chapter, I want to share with you from the first several verses six secrets of a successful Christian life. And I mentioned to you before that uh, many times uh, we think, well, these are the only six, but looking at a list of sermons I've preached over the years about important to have in your heart if you want to be a successful Christian, I've just titled this Six More Secrets because there's a whole lot of others, I'll guarantee you. And sometimes you end up getting a whole lot more than you bargained for. Uh, someone told me about a farmer called the veterinarian because his mule was ill, and he, he, the veterinarian came out there and, and uh, checked the mule, and the farmer said, is there any hope for the mule? And the veterinarian said, yes, sir. He said, I believe this mule will make it. He said, but now, in order for him to make it, you're going to have to give him these pills. And he had a pill that was a capsule about as big as thumb. And the farmer said to the mule, you know, getting that mule, uh, a farmer said to the vet, he didn't talk a whole lot, um, not in those days anyway, but uh, he said to the vet, um, how in the world do I get this mule to swallow that pill? The vet said, no problem. He said, uh, what you do is you get you a piece of hose, you cut off about three feet of it, you stick it down the mule's throat, and then you put the pill in the garden hose, and you just blow the end of the hose, and the pill ends up in the stomach pretty simple kind of operation, I would, you'd think, that uh, on home, and about three days later, it got a call from the hospital. He said, well, there's a, there's a farmer down here with this big pill in his stomach. And um, so the, the vet went running over to the hospital. It's the farmer, what happened? He said, well, he said, the, the mule flew first. <laughs> Sometimes you end up with more than you, than you bargained, right? Now, as we look at this book of Galatians, I assure you there is more here than you would think by casual observation. So, Bible open to Galatians chapter 2. Let's stand together. I'm going to be reading uh, with verse 1, and we're going to read down through the 10th verse, thinking together about these six secrets of a successful Christian life. The Apostle Paul, again, is sharing his personal testimony with the Christians in the churches of Galatia. He says, 15 years afterwards, this is after his first Jerusalem, he said, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. I took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run. In other words, he said, I... I wanted to know whether I had been preaching all these 14 years was right on target with what the message uh, people were hearing from these apostles. Uh, I wanted to make sure it was the same. But he said, either Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brothers who <clears throat> unawares brought in, came in privately to spy out our lips, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us bondage. And you remember the issue here was that 
Judaizers in Jerusalem began encouraging people with this idea that they had to become a Jew before they could become a Christian. And for the Jewish male, that meant the rite of circumcision. So they were seeking to bring Christians under bondage. Now, you remember the, the theme for the, of Galatians is free indeed, how to employ and enjoy your freedom in Christ. Well, here were these people who were adding law to the gospel of grace. And notice what he said, our response, what? Verse 5, to whom we gave place by subjection, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of those seem to be somewhat, in other words, the, the dogs there, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. God accepts no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 7, very wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effect Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be others, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision, only they would that we remember the poor, the same which also forward, or he said, I was very bold and eager. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray in these next few moments is that you show us those qualities which are to be a part of the life of every believer in Christ. These characteristics of a successful Christian. Father, I pray that you Speak to my heart. Speak to the heart of each one of us. Give us, Heavenly Father, this evening more than just a sermon. The world is filled with sermons. I pray, Lord, that what would be transmitted through me as it would be a message, a, a life-changing message this evening. I pray that it would be in the power and the fullness of your Holy Spirit. pray, Heavenly Father, it would bear fruit in the lives of each one of us as we worship you together this evening. Father, our hearts deeply yearn to know those things which we can employ so that we might enjoy our freedom in Christ. And Father, we believe they're here, they're in your word, and that your Holy Spirit will teach them to. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, trust that you will. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Now, if you will, keep your Bible open to the second chapter of the book of Galatians. Let me remind you that the churches in Galatia had moved away from the gospel of grace and had now become entrenched in what we might call a very legalistic type of religion. Now, religion means return to bondage, a return to the law. That's where the name religion comes from. And that's why we say that Christianity is not a religion. In the world's definition, they call us a religion. But reality, Christianity, rather than a religion or a return to bondage, is instead a relationship with a living Lord. The thing that distinguishes your Christian faith from all religions in the world is that it is not a return to bondage. It is a being set free. And if you will look at all 
religions in this world, you will discover that there is constant awareness that there is a wrathful God who somehow must be appeased, and the way that he can be appeased is by returning to the keeping of certain laws. In Christianity, in the Word of God, we discover who God is. And while he is a God of perfect righteousness, he is also a God of perfect love. While he is a God of perfect holiness, he is also a God of perfect grace. And in God's plan, the sin payment was taken care of when Jesus became sin for us, he who knew sin, when he died on the cross of Calvary, our sins were paid for at that time. The Bible says that uh, Jesus, if you continue in my words, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He said, I am the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So in Christianity, you don't have some dead leader who needs to be emulated. You have a live Savior and you enter into a deep and abiding personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I could sum up all of Christianity, I would say it is knowing Christ, knowing Christ. By the way, if you sum up other religions, it will always come out this way, knowing about Buddha, knowing about Muhammad, because you see, these are dead. Knowing about Zoroaster or knowing about Hindu religions or Zen, knowing about them. But in Christianity, you can know your Savior. You know Christ. And Christianity at its heart is not a religion. It is a relationship. And the Apostle Paul is speaking through this letter to the churches of Galatia. Move them off and beyond this whole idea that God must be appeased by some kind of religious activities which you deeply perform and then into which you uh, uh, lock other people with your expectations or with your demands. With that in mind, let's see what the Apostle Paul said about his own life. He certainly was a success. By the way, the name Paul <clears throat> comes from a root which is a little one. But of course, his shadow is mighty. His shadow falls across this church, this evening, shadow of the Apostle Paul. And so certainly, say he was a very successful person. Now, already I have given you three of the six characteristics for success in the Christian life. Notice what they were just briefly by review, the first three. First of all, we said make your decisions, make your decisions by seeking God's directions. The Apostle Paul says, when I went up to Jerusalem, verse 2, I went up by revelation. And you remember what I said last Wednesday evening, everything you know, you know either by rationalism, that is, taking what you see, hear, smell, taste, or touch, bring it into your heart, logicking it out, your emotions and making your decisions, or you know it by revelation, that is, by God speaking it to your spirit. Let me give you an interesting verse. I've studied this verse this morning. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Here is the way you read that in the authorized version. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now, you've heard that all your life. Where there is no vision, the people perish. I asked our staff this morning if they had, first of all, delineated the 
primary area of their life's ministry. And the reason I asked them this question was that if you ask the average church staff member, do you have a vision for your primary area of ministry, here's what they will say. They will say, yes, I intend to have this many people in the program. We intend to see this many people saved. We intend to see the church grow by this many. But you see, the ministry of the church, and I, I'm reluctant to say this, but the ministry of the church is not the primary area of a church staff member's ministry. What is it? It is his or her home. You see, that's the primary area of ministry. And so, do you have a vision? You may have goals down where you work. You want to reach a certain sales quota. You want to see the company grow by this much. You want to see students uh, absorb this much information. Tell me. You say, well, I'm not married. Well, what about your family? You're still a family member. And your primary area of ministry begins in your relationship with God as it pertains to your family. What vision do you have for your family? You see, you ought to have vision for your family. Now, not only should you delineate where your primary area of ministry is, you need to define what vision is. The word vision here means revelation from God. And by the way, he goes on to say that a vision is more than a revelation, and you college students can really reach on to this because I know you seek God and you say, Lord, speak to my heart, show me, reveal your truth. But the next statement, happy as he keeps the law, means, now listen to this, when God gives you a revelation of His will, that revelation is as binding on you as any other law of Scripture. You see, we have a tendency to think, well, the laws are the Ten Commandments. And then other things, God shows me and I might do them and I might not. Well, wait a minute. If God, by His Spirit and through His Word, speaks to your heart, it then becomes binding upon you Aggressively cooperate with God in the fulfilling of that revelation. So it's not only a revelation it's a requirement. And then finally, we noticed in our meeting this morning, and this all pertains to this business of seeking directions. We noticed why we needed to have a vision. Why we direction? He says, where there is no vision, people perish. That word literally in the Hebrew means they are unrestrained. They anything's possible. They never know whether to succeed or fail because anything's possible. Not only do we find direction there, we find discipline, and we find delight. Happy is he who keeps the law. And uh, a lot of people don't think there's delight in discipline, but I'll tell you what, there is delight in discipline. Nothing, you, know, you know why I believe people like to go to watch football games? I think one of the reasons they like to watch football games, basketball games, is they like to see in this world of chaos, they enjoy seeing people working together and doing so within certain structures, within certain laws, certain rules. There is light that comes with discipline. Now, what am I saying? If you want to succeed, the first thing you've got to do is make your decisions by seeking God's direction. Secondly, said that if you want to succeed in your life, you must make your beliefs a matter of serious study. He says, when I got there, verse 2 again, I went aside those who are the leaders of the church in order to discover whether what I was saying and doing was according to the Word of God. Notice what he said, privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means, I, he said, I didn't want to run or should run in vain. 
And so if you want to succeed as a Christian, and you remember what I said about doctrine being the body of Christ, what your physical skeleton is to your physical body. It's what makes mobility possible. It is what makes uh, work possible. You must have sound doctrine. All right, then we noted thirdly that if you want to succeed, you must never, and, and I would underline this, you must never compromise your doctrinal integrity. Now, let me give you a danger here, you high school students, and your moms and dads came through a generation they call modernism. And there may be some remnant of it left over in your classes or maybe in some of the college classes. But there are people who take the Word of God and they will read it phenomenologically. Now, what does that mean? It means that they will say, well, that is what it appeared like to Joshua, or that's the way it seemed to the children of Israel, or that is the way it looked like to Mark. Now, what's wrong with reading the Bible that way? If you read the Bible that way, then the Bible has ceased for you becoming God's Word. It has become just Mark's Word, or Joshua's Word, or Job's Word, and not God's Word through Mark. You say, well, now, wait a minute. Didn't he use it? Yes. When the light comes through those stained glass windows, some of it's green, some of it's blue, some of it's red, but it's all light. It picks up the character through which it is sifted, but it is light when it plays upon the floor here, when the sun's shining. The Holy Spirit moved through these people. It picked up the character or the personality of you, the tent of the men who were used, but it is the inerrant Word of God. And if you want to succeed as a Christian, you must never compromise your doctrinal integrity. Notice what he said. He said, Titus was with me. He was not uncircumcised, but we would not let them force him to be circumcised. They, in fact, came in secretly to spy on our liberty so that they could bring us into bondage. Notice verse 5, to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now listen, one of the worst things you can do is to throw aside sound doctrine for the purpose of getting along with somebody. I had a man tell me one time about counseling. He had a couple that came in to counsel with him. And this particular couple was wanting to get married. And in their particular situation, there were some very obvious scriptural principles in this couple's life, and they were in violation of those principles. And there was no way, according to the scripture, that this couple could get married, at least not with the blessing of God. So I said to this man, what did you do? He said, well, I didn't want to offend them, and I wanted to have an opportunity as a pastor to minister to them. And so I performed their wedding. I asked him a question, what has happened to them now? He said, well... They're having problems. And I said, how is your ministry to them? He said, well, I don't guess I have much of ministry to them. You know why? You see, he had an opportunity to perform a ministry to them, which was simply to share the Word of God. But when that pastor put down the Word of God and replaced it with his opinion, he ceased being able to minister to them. 
Now, in his mind, he was doing it so he could do what? Be their friend and minister to them. But he had nothing to bring to the table for ministry once he compromised his doctrine. Are you understanding what I'm saying? There's a difference between tolerating people and working with people and compromising doctrine. And the world is filled with compromisers. I tell you what, the world is filled with people who just don't, you know, they, they don't have convictions. They have beliefs, you know, beliefs you have. Convictions have you. They hang on to you. You can't put them down. You, know, you may try to shake a conviction like a dog. Is, well, I can't get rid of it because it's a conviction, a belief, you know. And what I'm saying here is that you must not compromise. The Apostle Paul didn't say, well, you know, rats. I, I, why don't we just go ahead just so we can have the, the stamp of approval from the big daddies in Jerusalem. Let's go ahead and play their game with them. What would have happened? The Apostle Paul reminded the Christians in Galatia, what would have happened is this. You would never heard the gospel. That's what would have happened. Because God would not have given me power to go and preach the gospel to you like that. All right? So do not compromise your doctrinal integrity. All right? Now, now we're to the last three. That's a review of the first three. Here's the last three. I wish I could somehow write this next one across the heart of every person in this auditorium. You must avoid what I want to call a man-fearing spirit. If you want to be a success as a Christian, you must avoid, diligently avoid, a man-fearing spirit. Now, what is a man-fearing spirit? It doesn't mean that you are not going to be gracious. It doesn't mean that you say, either you play by my rules, we don't play ball at all. It doesn't mean that you, that you brag or boast or become arrogant and proud and conceited because of what you believe. But here's what it does mean. It means that you remove the approval of other people as your major or really as any reason for doing anything. Okay? You minister, you live out your Christian life unto God the way God reveals it to you and let God take care of your reputation got to do away with a man-fearing spirit. Um, how, do, how do I describe it? There are three basic reasons that you do what you do. And you'll study this in classes. First of all, most people do what they do on the basis of reward and punishment. I do this because I get, I get something for it. Or I do, don't do that because I'll get slapped because I do it. That's where most people stay. Now, some get a little more mature than that, and they go to the next level, and they say, I do what I do because I feel responsible for other people, and they're watching, and after all, I'm their father, and I don't want my son to smoke, so I won't smoke. I feel responsible for my son. Or I don't want my kids to speed, so when they're in the car, I won't speed. You know? this, I feel responsible for the people. And so some people have a little sense of responsibility, but that's not the best motivation what you do. You see, right is always wrong, right and wrong is always wrong, no matter who the audience is. And the highest level of motivation is when you come to the point where you say, I'm going to do what I do as under the Lord, whether it's easy or hard is not the issue, whether I'm at home or 10,000 miles is not the issue, away from home, whether I am surrounded by people who know me or whether I am alone, I am going to do what I do as under the Lord. 
Now, now, now that means that you have to put aside a man-fearing spirit. Look with me, if you will, at verse 6. He says, these who seem to be what? Someone. Whatever they were, it doesn't make any matter to me. God accepts no man's person. That's just an aside, but in that little aside, the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to tell you something. Nobody gets right with God because of human credentials. I'm about to tell you something that, uh, that I have had to learn the hard way, and, and uh, I, I haven't really learned this very well, okay? I mean, I, I've learned it enough to know that it's out there to be grasped. I really want to get it. I really want to catch it so that, I, so that it's a, an, a, 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 you know, just a reflex action for me. It's not right there right now. But over the span of my life, I have had... On more than one occasion, many occasions, I've come to the point where I've had really difficult decisions to make. And, I, and to me, they might not seem difficult to you, but I mean, these were difficult decisions. Sometimes they had to do with my vocation. Sometimes they had to do with where I served as a pastor or as a minister. Sometimes they had to do with what stand we would take. I mean, even coming to First Southern, you know, over the past seven years, we have come to some really crucial crossroads as a church family. I mean, difficult decisions. We had, to, we had to make difficult decisions. Did we cut and run, or did we do what God wanted us to do? Now, I have discovered what makes decisions difficult. And by the way, it is something you can eliminate, and when you eliminate it, your decision that's so difficult can become very simple. You say, well, preacher, tell me, what is it that makes decisions difficult? All right. As best I can tell, the only thing that'll really make a decision difficult is concern over your reputation. Boy, that is when decisions get so hard. But what will people say? How will it appear in the news? What will my friends think? What, will this ruin me? How will they think of us? Oh, you go through the night saying, oh, but what will he say? What will she do? How will they respond? Oh, it's so, you know, you know what that is? That is difficulty that you have invited in your life because of a man-fearing spirit. Okay? So some of you right now, you're going through some hard decisions. Listen. You remove your reputation from that stew that you're in right now, and you'll discover that decision, when it's just doing what God says do, that decision can become relatively easy. It's a matter of finding the will of God and doing it. Not finding the will of God and figuring out a way to save your face. Finding the will of God and doing it. Finding the will of God and doing it. And so if you want to succeed as a Christian, you have got to avoid having a man fearing spirit. Number five, if you want to succeed in the Christian life, you've got to realize that God deals with different people in different ways. God deals with different people in different ways. Different 
You see, I want my experience to become the pattern for everybody else. And if they don't have their experience like my experience, well, then they're suspect, right? You see, I, I want... And, and this, is, this is a real... This is a classic uh, evidence of immaturity. And that is believing that the way you got it is the way everybody else has got to get it. The prayer you prayed is the prayer everybody's got to pray. The way you felt is the way everybody else feels. The way you think something ought to go is the way it ought to go for everybody. I'll tell you, one of, the, one of the biggest lessons of my life was when we woke up one morning in Africa, our family did, and I discovered that we had two kinds of, uh, of uh, people out there doing Christian ministries. There were those who were trying to make Africans into Americans. And there were the others who were trying to figure out how they could distill the pure gospel and hand it over to people and let them hammer out the application of that in their own society. You see. And it was a lesson to me that God deals with different people different ways. And there's a real danger in making the way you came through to where you are the pattern for the way everybody that you want to fellowship with, the pattern they have to follow to fellowship with you. Now, let's see if that's what the Scripture says here, verses 7 and 8. He says, Con he says uh, they, seemed, they that be, seem to be somewhat, he says in verse 6, they added nothing to me. Now, that's a great statement, which I wish we had time to deal with tonight. He's saying that all these years that I had with the Holy Spirit, I discovered that I knew everything that the apostles knew with Jesus in the flesh. In fact, they couldn't add anything to me. As a matter of fact, I could tell them a few things. Now, the reason I say I wish I could preach the whole evening on that is that means that one little phrase there is an indication that you have no excuse for not being all God wants you to be. You say, if I could have just been with the apostles, if I could have just been with Jesus in the flesh, Paul wasn't but he's saying here, I didn't have to be. Because when I trusted Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live within me, and I got everything I needed to do, everything I needed to do. Okay? Now, I'm not going to park on that, but let's just see what he says here. He says, on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed to me, uncircumcised meant the non-Jew, that would be the Gentile, in other words, the good news that I was going to preach to the non-Jew was committed unto me, just as the gospel of the circumcision was to Peter. That is, the gospel that Peter preached to the Jews was given to him. Now, notice verse 8. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same God was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. Now, the problem in Jerusalem was, at first, all those who followed the apostle Peter were saying, unless you become exactly like him, you can't be saved. And yet here comes Paul with young Titus and the message that, that Gentiles are getting saved all over the countryside out there in Galatia. And so what do they do? They got Gentiles getting saved. They got Jews getting saved. What do they do? All right, at the council of Jerusalem, ultimately the Holy Spirit prevailed and here's what the Holy Spirit revealed to the church. 
I deal with different people different ways. Don't you make your experience or your desires the pattern for the way everybody else has to be. All right? What is the theme of Galatians? How to employ and enjoy your freedom in Christ. And so that's one of the things he's saying. Now, why do I say this? Am I talking about giving up? No. I'm talking about compromising? No. I'm just saying give people room. Give God room to work in people's lives as God will. I remember back during the Jesus movement in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. My, what days. The, the problem with the Jesus movement was not that God's Spirit wasn't working because God's Spirit was working. The problem with the Jesus movement was there was no doctrinal integrity. And so all that enthusiasm amounted to nothing. Young people, you can think of it like this. If I had a, a pitcher of water and I, and I just poured it out on the hot pavement, it would just dissipate in no time. It would evaporate because it had no container, and it would just evaporate quickly. But if I set it out there in the sun, it would evaporate, but very slowly because it had a container. Doctrine, what you believe is like the container. Without it, you can have all the enthusiasm in church you want. You can jump up and down. You can praise God. You can run all over the auditorium. You can clap, shout, do anything you want to. But I'll tell you what, with no good doctrine, it's like pouring water on hot pavement, and it's gone. It's out of here. And so the Jesus movement was like that. Oh, we don't believe anything. We just love God. We just love God. But I'll tell you what, you know what? We, we had in our church in those days, you know, all kinds of people would come down the pike. You remember. You know, remember how David Brinkley used to look? Can you have long hair, David? You know, you, did you? Okay, I, I think I've seen a picture or something like that. You know, he, has, he had hair, which would be different than what he's got now. You know, he had hair. But we'd have a guy, it was nothing for us to have a guy stand up and he had on coveralls and a bandana and, and white hair down to his shoulders. And, uh, and, and that guy, you know, you'd, you'd want to run up there and you'd want to cut his hair, you'd rip a beard out of his face and yank the bandana off and take that glazed look out of his eyes and slap him two or three times and put a hammer in his hand and tell him to go hit a few of your buddies over the head and dress right and be like us. But you know what? What he really needed to do first is get saved. And then God, by his Holy Spirit, would work within him to will and to do of his good pleasure. And by the way, God usually got their attention not by people chasing them down with scissors, but by people who loved them. Like they were, who just loved them, you see. And that is so very important. That is so critical that we understand that God deals with different people different ways. So Paul came away from Jerusalem saying, Bless God, I have no problem with my heart with Peter. Peter is going to the Jews. That is wonderful. That's just not what God did to me. And Peter went away from it and said, Paul, you have been given the gospel to the, of the uncircumcision. You go to the Gentiles, frankly. I can't stand it. However, by the way, Paul says later on in this chapter, when Peter showed up in Galatia, he did have a cheeseburger, a bacon cheeseburger. He ate just like the Gentiles. Now, that will come to you when we get to that point. You'll understand what I said. Okay, he had a sausage and biscuit. 
All right. God deals with different people different ways. You've got to realize, if you want to succeed. All right, number six. Learn to work with people who have good doctrine, listen, but different methods. Okay, learn how to work. Learn how to get along with people who have good doctrine. They are sound. They believe right. Now, that's you don't want to compromise your doctrine, but they have different methods than you have. Now, that's very important. Notice what he says here. He says, when, I'm reading verse 9, James, Peter, and John, he's Cephas here. James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace was given unto me. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles, they to the circumcision, to the Jews. But we agreed together, he said, that we should remember the poor. And he said, by the way, I took their advice and I have been eagerly doing that since that time. We shook hands and said, are we friends? We are friends. Who's holding us together? Jesus is holding us together. Do we both agree in doctrine? We both agree in doctrine. But if you got an itch to witness to the Jews and me to the Gentiles, you got an itch for the Jews, I got an itch for the Gentiles. Anything we need to be working on together, just sharing the gospel, and let's don't forget the poor. Shake, shake. Let's do it together. Now, one of the things that really distresses the heart of God is to find people both of whom believe right, but who let their methodologies separate them. Well, that's not the way we do it. That's the way we do it. Well, I know, but it's not the way we do it. We have our way. And by the way, you can make a religion out of anything. You know that? You can make a religion out of anything. You know what? I, I, when I go around... I. God forbid that we would ever be less than wondrously, joyously enthusiastic in our services. But, hey, God forget, forbid that we ever get in such bondage to our forms that when we are smitten before the Holy Spirit, when somebody sings a song or the choir sings, that we just can't sit quietly and in awe. Because if we ever begin to make clapping or not clapping the test, we are doing exactly what he's saying here. You have, I have our method. I have your method. You see what I'm saying? How to employ and enjoy your freedom in Christ. And that is so very important. Learn to work with people who have the same doctrine. Don't, hey, listen, you say, why don't I work with people who have different doctrine? You're not supposed to. The Bible says don't. It says if you wish them God's speed, you become guilty of their doctrine. You're asking God to bless something he can't bless. It says that in 2 John. So don't buy the Watchtower magazine from Jehovah's Witnesses because you're buying a quarter's worth of heresy. And don't say, well, God bless you, young man. No, you, don't want, you want God to speak to his heart and save that boy out of a devil's hell is what you want. But when you do find people who believe like you do on essential, crucial points of doctrine, the inerrant word of God, the virgin birth of Jesus, the purchase of of sinners by his blood on the cross of Calvary, the complete redemption of mankind, the payment of their sins, the bodily resurrection, the return. When you find people who believe the same as you do, don't let the fact that they do it another way keep you from fellowship with them. Because I want to tell you something about your way. If we all did it your way, it would be a terribly boring world to live in. You know, 
We'd be all thumbs or all noses or all fingers or all feet or all legs. God gives us different gifts. We're different people. Let's just learn to love each other like we are, okay? Just learn to love each other like we are. Well, those six characteristics of a successful Christian. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you right now to bring to this altar any person who would repent of sin and turn to Jesus. Any person who'd want to follow our Lord's command to be baptized, any person who'd want to join this church. Bring to this altar people who would come and kneel and say, Dear Lord, I want to be successful as a Christian. Lord, I pray you would empower me to live out, to embody these six characteristics of a successful Christian. Now, Father, we're trusting your spirit to work in power in these moments. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In just a few moments, we're going to stand. We're going to sing with the praise singers. I've decided to follow Jesus. And this altar is open. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, opened your heart to Him, and you wanted to have your sins washed away tonight, be born in the family of God, would you come to this altar and find one of these counselors and say, look, I'm coming to trust Jesus. I want to meet Him. I want a relationship with Him. That's all you need to say. They'll talk with you and pray with you. You can go from this place knowing you've been born into God's family because Jesus died and rose again from the grave and is alive for you. If God's speaking to your heart, you may be new in our community. You may be a student. You say, I'm only here for nine months. Great, nine wonderful months you can give in service to your local church. Join this church, would you? And just let your life pour out in service to Jesus. Come forward when we stand to sing. The Lord's speaking to your heart about something else. We'll come to this altar, find a counselor. Your invitation to say yes to him. Let's stand together. Let's begin singing. I've decided to follow Jesus. And as we sing, you just make your way to this altar. Amen.